0: Welcome to the Small Business Edge podcast with Brian Moran, sponsored by Pitney Bowes. Now here's your host, Brian Moran. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Small Business Edge podcast. I'm your host, Brian Moran. And in this month's Small Business Spotlight segment, our guest is Judy Henderson, founder and CEO of Mannequin Madness, based in Oakland, California. Uh, With that, I want to welcome to the Small Business Edge podcast, Judy Henderson. Welcome, Judy.
1: Hey, excited to be here.
0: I'm excited, too. I've, I've gotten to know your story and about you uh, through a mutual friend of ours, Kathleen Murphy. And I'm thrilled to have you on our podcast because you embody all of the things that I love in a great entrepreneurial story. So,
1: so Because I never saw myself as an entrepreneur before. So that's been a big part of my journey as well, to really see that, wow, I am an entrepreneur because I had no exposure to entrepreneurship early in my life.
0: Well, and I think that's part of the the allure of your story. So um, I would love for our listeners to hear a little bit about it. Now, you you became a business owner later in life, right? Now, you you started and founded a company called Mannequin Madness in Oakland, California. What inspired you to start this company?
1: And Brian, that's actually a two-part question. First of all, being an entrepreneur and why Mannequins in particular. As I said, I had no exposure to entrepreneurship. I was in my 40s, and I'm in my 60s now, so I'm I'm a senior entrepreneur (laughs) when I first started. And when I grew up, you know, entrepreneurship wasn't on the table. There was no such thing as girl boss and things like that. And to me, an entrepreneur, particularly being in Silicon Valley, was a young, white male from Stanford with venture capital money in the tech field. That's what I thought an entrepreneur was. So I certainly didn't see myself in that light. What happened after 20 years of working for Fortune 100 companies, I went to work for a dot-com startup in the early days of the Internet. We're talking about 1999. Mm -hmm. For the first time, I was surrounded by serial entrepreneurs. So it made me familiar with the concept. And I realized these guys weren't any more business savvy than I was, but they just had a whole lot more confidence. Wow. So that kind of first piqued my interest in what entrepreneurship might be like. And I had read the book, Rich Dad, Poor Dad, where he talks about having multiple revenue streams. So my idea was just to start a side hustle. I was too afraid to try to be an entrepreneur while still working at the job and just doing something on the side. Now, I had no idea what that might be, Brian. But what happened one day, I was searching on Craigslist for some Tina Turner concert tickets. How random is that? (laughs) And I saw a posting for a mannequin for sale. Now, most people would probably just pass by that. But I wanted to get a mannequin to mosaic and put in my backyard. That's all I was thinking I was doing. Well, when I met the seller, he ran the only mannequin rental business in town and was leaving the state. Now, at that point, I had never touched a mannequin, had never worked retail, had never run a business. But I thought, wow, this sounds fun. I think this will be my side hustle. So that's how I really just kind of fell into mannequins. I wasn't looking for it, but I followed my passion and then I found a problem and I then turned that into a profit, profit making organization.
0: So we'll call you the accidental entrepreneur. Total accidental entrepreneur. Yeah. Now, now let me back up for a step because one thing that I spend a lot of time on with our listeners and, and in the coursework that I do to help people who are looking to start a business is identify, I identify three types of business owners. There's the small business owner at one end. There's an entrepreneur at the other end. And in the middle is something that I call a passionate business owner and it's very important that you make that distinction because what you describe you know the 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 young white stanford grad look to do a, you know do some dot com you know startup that is like 0.01% of the total number of business owners that we have in the country
2: they get all the visibility
1: and the money
0: yes yes so what and 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 so my, part of what I do is I I help business owners try and better understand what am I? What what type of business owner am I? It's so important to understand that because you've had tremendous success in your business. And I will say this, you did not start out as an entrepreneur you probably started out somewhere between a small business owner and a passionate business owner. You you, you thought, okay, this is a side hustle. This is a lifestyle business. I I don't want to open the, you know, the largest mannequin business in the country, or I don't want to have 10 locations or 150 employees. But it, it, what it was, was it, it was a side hustle. And you weren't even passionate about it. You were probably more passionate about your garden and your mosaic
1: but I did like mannequins and digital merchandising and things like that. Okay. I've still done the side hustle for a while, but 9-11 happened,
2: which right. was the
1: same sort of pivotal event like 2020 was here. Mm-hmm. I lost my job at the dot-com, and I had to make a decision then. Do I still work at the mannequin business, which at that point wasn't very really profitable, or do I go back and look for another job? And I just thought, I'm choosing passion and creativity because if we're at the last days and time of our world, I want to do something I enjoy. That's when I switched and turned the volume up from being passionate to really be more of an entrepreneur. I had to be because I was depending on this as my full-time income now.
0: There's a great quote. It's, uh, even if I knew that the world would go to pieces tomorrow, I would still plant my apple tree today. <laughs> so this was your apple tree.
1: That was my apple tree, exactly. This is
0: your apple tree. Um, so I would peg you then probably as a passionate business owner. Yeah. And the reason right. that that's important to understand is because you come to forks in the road. When you start having success, you, the, a fork in the road could be something like um, hire new employees, open additional locations, take outside investment, right? right. In my business, buy a competitor, uh, launch a new product or service, right? So all of these things that you come to because you're having success in your business. Now you could go left and say no and that you would kind of start reverting to being a small business owner, I meaning, you know what, I never really wanted this to be anything more than just something fun to do. And if I could make money out of it. But if you start to say yes to these at these forks in the road, Absolutely. now all of a sudden you're starting to think more like an entrepreneur. Absolutely. And, and I, I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, please.
1: I think my bigger vision is when I found out how many retail stores would just throw perfectly good mannequins in the trash just because it was last year's style or they're closing or whatever. And this was way before people were talking about circular economy or sustainability. I just knew from my own self that this was horrible that they were putting these perfectly good mannequins that could have a use on the secondary market for people like myself who wanted an art project. Why were they put in the trash? So being sustainable and interested in recycling is really what turned the notch up for me. Like, wow, the retail industry, I think I heard it's second only to the oil industry in generating waste. Wow. And people are focused on the waste and the production of clothing. They don't really concern about the waste that happens at the store level. That's where I came in. So I started offering retail stores an alternative. They could just give me their mannequins. I would take care of the expense of removing them. So therefore, they wouldn't have to pay the expensive waste disposal fees that happens for a mannequin. Mannequins are made of materials that don't biodegrade. So they definitely don't be in the landfill. So initially, stores were happy to work with me not because of sustainability or eco-friendly, but I was saving the money. Mm-hmm. And they could give me for free. And then I could then turn around and resell them at a nice profit because I got my inventory at such a very low, low cost. That's what has enabled me to turn it into a business. And then with the growth of the internet and e-commerce, I was not just depending on local customers, I could ship all over the US and Canada.
0: So take us on a timeline then. You started your company in what year? Two thousand. So two thousand okay. you started.
1: I'm sorry, two thousand
0: and one. Two thousand and one.
1: Two thousand and one. the end of two thousand. Officially, was a business
0: two thousand and one. Two thousand and one. So twenty one years ago, you started this business. Um, tell me, so and, and sustainability. When did that sustainability light bulb pop up in your head? Like, oh my god, I could be doing something good for my local communities. I could be doing something good for the earth. And help my business.
1: About six months after I started, this was still before I left to do it full time, it was prior okay. to 9 11. I got a call from a store at a Sears uh, a manager Sears, at Sears. And he's the one who first let me know that they were getting rid of mannequins out of all of their stores and that I wanted to take them away once again in exchange for free. So I went to every strip Sears in the Bay Area and got their mannequins. So I went from wow. 50 to 500 mannequins in just a couple of months. Mind you, Brian. The mannequins were in my basement, in my <laughs> garage, in my garage. I was too afraid to think about renting space for them. I had no idea it was going to get to this level. So that's when I realized, wow, this happens not just at this location, but lots of places. Yeah. And I now go from just renting mannequins to selling mannequins. And over time, I developed partnerships with other youth man- mannequin-, mannequin companies across the country such that a retail chain could call me And I would then deploy my people all over the U.S. to pick up the news mannequins in their city. It doesn't make sense for me to bring mannequins from Minnesota to California. Mm -hmm. But instead, I kind of became a broker to make it easy for retailers to recycle because they don't want to call around to different people. They just want to call one place and get it handled. No one was doing that before I was. I consider myself a disruptor. People always think of, you know, Airbnbs and and, and Uber as disruptor. I changed the paradigm of what most retail chains were doing, which was throwing them away.
0: So you, yeah, you did. You, you became that, you inserted yourself into the market, right in between the manufacturer of mannequins and the retailers. And so that they said, look, I don't have to call the manufacturer and pay export. I can call Judy and pay X minus 50%.
1: Well, no, they're not. Are you talking about the, the retail chains that are working with me?
0: Yeah, I'm saying, I'm saying did, did you did, were you then able to offer, you didn't offer them back to retailers. You offered them then on a secondary market to...
1: Exactly, to smaller retailers, personal, okay. personal use. The same people who recycled the mannequins for, that I recycle mannequins for, aren't always my same purchasers. Okay. I purchase, because I also now have expanded and I've added new mannequins to my inventory that I get from drop shippers. but The core of our business that really makes us unique is a recycling element.
0: How did you how did you fund your growth? So you started to grow and you now you're taking on expenses, right? So you you kind of have to build your inventory before you can sell it. So how did how did you fund your 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 startup into a growing entrepreneurial
2: company?
1: Total bootstrapped, all the things you're not supposed to do, some mm-hmm. credit card debt, one mm-hmm. into savings, a little Robin Peter to PayPal. Once again, No one was going to fund my little wacky mannequin business in general. (laughs) Also, we know that businesses of color rarely get any of the funding that's out there. So it wasn't even something I even considered. I think now is the first time in the 20 years I've been in business where there is funding programs available for small businesses, especially ones of color. So I just kind of like scrambled. What I call it, black girl magic. I was just rushing and hustling and doing stuff and made it happen. I did apply for a lot of grants. That was sort of like my way of getting venture capital. And because I have an interesting story and the recycling and I was a journalism major, I often won quite a bit of grants. The largest was a $100,000 grant that I won from Intel. So I'm not wow. talking about little $5,000 grants. I mean, some pretty significant grants that I've won. And wow. winning it not only was great just from the, the financial or the, the or the benefits that they gave, sometimes it was in the form of trade. Like British Airways had a contest where I won free travel, international travel. Because they were trying to promote meeting people face-to-face versus only relying on, on the Internet. But sometimes it was just a boost of confidence that some outside company saw my business as having some value. And so it took me a while to really see the value. Once again, I think for the longest, I kept myself as a hobby and not really realizing, no, you're an entrepreneur. Because once again, there wasn't that representation to see someone who look like me, my age group, and doing something kind of niche like this. Mm -hmm. I think once I started to shift in my head and value my business and myself differently, then there was also a ripple
2: effect in the change.
0: Yeah. I mean, when you think about a woman of color in a mannequin market, right? And and you think about how off the, let's call it the beaten path you were with your business and, and your age. Right? Wow. It, it's like the triple whammy.
1: <laughs> <laughs> the I called it Mannequin Madness, because when I first got started, just about everybody thought I was a little crazy <laughs> for doing it. Once right. again, I thought it was going to be a side hustle. So I think I just kind of like wandered into something, and then I ha- I saw the opportunity. Without the internet, I would not have been able to make this happen, because the internet allowed me to reach people that I wouldn't even thought about marketing to, let alone they were not in my area geographically. I didn't realize how many people use mannequins for all kinds of wacky things.
2: Mm. Whether
1: they're into shibari rope tying and they need, you know, a body to practice on. All the people who are into like cosplay events. Other people like myself who want a mannequin for their garden or to decoupage or do some sort of artsy thing. That's another part of our niche is because we sell used mannequins. People who just want a mannequin for a creative purpose versus a business need, they are probably our biggest supporters. We have about 54,000 uh, fifty five hundred, fifty four thousand followers on Pinterest. You know the big DIY kind of market. The mm-hmm. people turn mannequins into Christmas trees and all kinds of mailboxes. Even like I said, I wouldn't have thought about this. I oh, just wow. make my product available, and people with the imagination find me and then do whatever they want with the mannequin.
2: You
0: could have a contest, uh, like the most creative I'd use for a mannequin.
1: Love that idea. Ooh. Yeah you if i take that idea i like Thank that
0: you, please that's, that's <laughs> yours that's my gift to you i would i would you know imagine that on pinterest yeah. and instagram where you say let's have a contest and vote and the the people who get the most number of likes on there you know you could enter it into the finals what is, a what's the prize
1: gotta be oh you
0: can get a sponsor make it make it ten thousand dollars
1: brian let's talk offline okay i really love this idea
0: yeah Get a sponsor. Instagram, Pinterest, the the most creative use for a mannequin, you know, keep it right. P thirteen yeah. or whatever.
2: Yeah, and like uh,
0: and 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 you'll pick a winner. I mean, when you said a mannequin as a Christmas tree, I'm like, oh my god, I want to see that.
1: Oh my god, I've got a board on Pinterest that's full of ideas on that one.
2: Really? Okay. All
1: that's right. Of those big projects, but so, there's mention that. So if there's any sponsors listening, want to help sponsor this, I'm happy to do it because post pandemic more and more people were turning to making things by hand. That was one of the ways which the pandemic helped us. We suffered in other ways, trust me. We had to close for several months because we're a non-essential business. In California, we also had fires. And of course, there was the Black Lives Matter. And then in the Bay Area, a lot of people were moving out of state. So a lot of our normal walk-in traffic disappeared. So fortunately, we were able to hold on. But we're coming back because now retail is booming again. But a lot of people have turned to handmade, crafty kind of activities to do at home because they were bored. And because making things by hand has been proven to help people with anxiety and stress. So we also oh, yeah. have art classes at our mannequin warehouse so people can make certain projects, usually they're using a mannequin head or making like a flower crown headdress or something like that. But I would have not thought about that had not the pandemic really pushed us to look at new ideas. The,
0: the, there's a whole there's a whole industry right there, like a cottage cottage industry, right, that you are talking about about you know making make you know obviously making clothes, making headdresses, making all of these different things, and and having a mannequin right to to as as your kind of um, your easel or something right. And he-
1: Better, a used mannequin. So that means we're extending the life cycle of something that would have been thrown away to show that, I always say, new uses for old things. Even myself, I'm a new use for an old thing. And so that's exactly what I have for the mannequins that I sell.
0: All right. Who okay. helped you? As you as you grew your business, you know, we all know that, that there are always people who come in who see things from a different viewpoint, who hear things, who share things that we don't see and we don't hear. I'm, I'm sure you made mistakes along the way. So I want to hear about some of the biggest mistakes that you made, and how you overcame them, and who in particular, what organization, what person, you know, stepped up and really guided you, especially in the early times where you could make a lot of the mistakes.
2: Gotcha.
1: Well, the biggest mistake, as I, I mentioned earlier, was not really seeing myself as an entrepreneur. I didn't really value myself. So, so that caused me to, number one, not charge what I really should from my products mm-hmm. and not put some of the systems and structures in place because I still was thinking, oh, I've got this little hobby thing, ha, 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 and I'm selling mannequins that people weren't taking seriously. That was the biggest mistake. Mm-hmm. And then the fact that I didn't really have anybody else to compare myself with. So that, too, kind of had me thinking, well, if no one else is doing this, does that mean that there's something wrong with me? Or am I like it's Steve Jobs who can really see – vision that other people can't do or, And so that's where I'm kind of in that kind of gray area kind of thing. Yes, I don't have something that's a scalable thing that you know something can sell all around the world but it was a different way of looking at something. And so I think what helped me is being around other creative imaginative people. unfortunately I'm in the Bay Area which is a very kind of open to new ideas kind of place mm-hmm. and I have a good network of friends who many of them have said Judy, I don't understand what you're doing but if anyone can make something happen you can. And that just kind of just gave me that little pat on the back. But I think the biggest turning point was, I, first of all, I've always taken a lot of business classes, whether it's incubator programs or accelerator programs, because I knew I knew nothing about business from mannequin. So I had to be a learner. And I, ha- and I enjoy learning. So that helped a lot in that particular point, giving me the knowledge I need. But I think the turning point was I won an award from Wells Fargo. So they were giving uh, awards, and it was small, maybe $5,000, but still, nothing to sneeze out, to business owners. And I was the winner. And it was down to me and someone who had a much bigger business, they later told me. And the reason they went with me, because they felt that I represented more small business owners. And this was way back when I was first starting even the first five years of my business. Something about just that small vote of confidence really made me see myself differently. And then when I started adding on staff, first in the form of contractors and employees, I felt a sense of responsibility too, to really continue to, to grow, to help support them, because many of them were from marginalized communities and many times didn't have other sources of income and they liked what they were doing. But I guess that the driver was the, the recycling piece. It's so funny because now everybody's talking about sustainability and retailing. And I just feel like I saw that way ahead of things. And this is not to pat myself on the back, but that was the driver. Because so many times landfills are located in communities where people of color live. And as a person of color, that really concerned me, as well as the greater good to helping the community, the world, be greener.
0: That's a, a beautiful reason to start and grow a business, is to help the community around you. And, and so kudos to you for saying that. Um, and, you know, congratulations on, you know, where I, I'm thinking about where you were early on in your business and how many different choices you had to make and that you had to make on your own, you know, again, being, being a, a woman, business owner, a woman of color, a woman, um, you well, know, age. yeah, 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 yeah. And uh, and then starting a a niche business or a niche business that, um, you know, you're basically developing a category. I mean, there are there are so many things that were working against you. And and what, what I what I applaud you most for is having the resiliency, even though you couldn't see you know, far down the path, but, you know, about where your business could go. You had enough confidence in yourself to know that you were on the right path.
1: Well, having a strong spiritual foundation helps. I've been a Buddhist for over 30 years, and I tell you many times, you know, I I chant morning and evening, and that really helps to ground and center me and sometimes allow me to tap into something that I don't normally have. And I'm surprised, actually, I went to a convention And I met a banker and he said that he noticed that small business owners who have a strong sense of faith, didn't matter what their religion was, but someone who had a strong sense of faith, he had seen a difference in the way they react to problems and the success of their business. And that just kind of touched me. It's like, wow, for a banker to say that he noticed people with a spiritual foundation made a difference. So, I mean, I was already had a, a strong grounding, but that just really reminded me of how much stepping out on faith and being an entrepreneur is always a step out on faith right and all my life i've been a woman having to a black woman having to go up against things so this was not anything new if anything i was surprised during the black lives matter when about 50 percent of black-owned businesses went out of business Mm. that's when i just realized how much so many of us have been struggling because i just thought this is normal doesn't everybody do this and i realized no most of the businesses don't have those same struggles
0: there's a, a woman in Newark, New Jersey that I want to introduce you to. Her name's Jill Johnson, and she's the CEO of Eiffel Institute for Entrepreneurial Leadership. Now, I did a what I call a five and five podcast with her. It was five questions in five minutes, and it was almost a disservice because of how important the topic was and what she was saying. I should have had her on for an hour, and I'm going to. Okay. Uh, but it was about it was called the state of black owned businesses in America, and Jill has done such a magnificent job of reaching out not only to Black-owned businesses, but women of color in particular and helping them. And she said, you know, what the the pandemic did was it it exposed all of the long-term underlying issues that Black business owners faced and that they were just right next to the abyss. And all the pandemic did was push 40% of them over. It's
2: heartbreaking. It's heartbreaking. Yeah, yeah. Because
1: I have such a unique business and because I have the internet, it really helps. And for the longest, Brian, on my website, you would not have known it was a Black-owned business. And I really struggle with whether or not even to mention that at all. Because I don't really want someone to give me business just because, quote-unquote, African-American. But I also know that many times people were looking to support Black-owned businesses, too. But a lot of my business, because I look and see who some of my, my customers are, and I don't think they would do business with me if they knew that I was a Black woman in Oakland. So sometimes I deliberately... Hit that. Um, but is that the internet has helped me reach other people. And where I'm located, there's no other business like me in Northern California. I have people who many times drive up to two hours to come and shop with us because what we have is so unique. They would not normally come to this community, right? They wouldn't normally come from Sacramento or go shopping in Oakland because what I have is so unique. I bring people in and then many times and they see a different reality around them.
0: Now, this is where the, the podcast takes a left turn, because okay. I did a podcast two years ago with a woman, a black owned business owner in Oakland who makes f- flowers, who makes wine out of flowers. Do you oh. know what Alia Natoto. Does that name sound familiar? I hope that's her name.
1: But I know about someone who makes flowers from wine.
0: Yes. Yeah. Uh, makes not wine not from flower. And she's in Oakland not. and she makes award winning wine. And so very much like you, when I hear your story, all of a sudden it it rang with me, uh, rang in my head. And that is a woman in a largely male dominated industry, winemaking, not only that a woman of color, her partner was a white male. And in the beginning, they were, I think he was the one who was going out to, you know, basically sell. it. And I think they said, you know what? It it was was almost as if we're going to be true to ourselves. I'm going to be the face of this brand. Okay. And again I I I it's been so long and and but that's that's a a, a podcast that I would highly recommend people to because there are these success stories you know black owned women owned businesses in in either niche markets where you're you're kind of creating the category as you go or it's in a male dominated category yeah. um and you yeah. know that that's why I love telling helping to tell your stories Because then everybody who's thinking about getting into the business or getting into another category where they're going to be a minority several times over, they're inspired by that.
1: And that's why I wanted to be on your show to share with people, because I wish that I had seen more examples of someone like me taking a creative passion, number one, Mm -hmm. you know, that being a woman of a certain age. Because a lot of people are retiring and they have so much more life to live. And whether they want to do something because they need the the money or just they want to keep stimulated, but they don't consider entrepreneurship because they think it's too hard or they don't, you know, see someone else who's done something similar. Just don't get them. Yeah. All right.
0: We're getting into the home stretch, but I'm going to extend this a little bit because I do want to tap into something else. You mentioned that you've been a Buddhist for 30 years and that a lot of your, um, uh, success early on may have come from the fact that you okay. rel- relied on that. I I am very spiritual as well. Uh, you know, born and raised Irish Catholic, but now I'm, I feel like I'm so much more aware of what's happening in the universe and other religions. There's a great saying, which I'll screw up, of course, but it's uh, we all take different paths to the same mountaintop.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And, And that's okay is that the the only person you need to worry about is the one running around telling everybody they're on the wrong path. I I care who said that, but uh, that's what I, I, I learned so much from other people who are on different paths. You experience things, you see things, you live a certain way that's different than mine, but yet, we all may wind up at the same place.
2: Absolutely.
0: So tell me a little bit about, tell me a little bit about your faith. Well, you have a three-word mantra.
2: Yeah.
1: Well, if anyone saw the movie by Tina Turner, it's that form of Buddhism that she practices. There's a mantra that you chant morning and evening. And to me, she's just a perfect example of seeing the inner change you do that then creates a change on the outer. For her to have come from being an abused woman in an industry known for only liking young people and for her to go out there on her own and then to have the monumental success she was, you know, selling out arenas. Mm -hmm. You see very few, this was pre-Beyonce days. There was nobody black in in Tina Turner's age group woman selling out arenas, but she had to do internal change. And in the process of that, you then attract favorable circumstances your way in the form of people or situations. I mean, part of my success is because I help businesses save money. If they had to buy from me, I don't think I would be as successful. But brands like Nike, Nordstrom, Ralph Lauren, they work with me because I remove their unwanted mannequins for free. Mm -hmm. But it took one or two people just to believe in me to get that started. And then we won an award from the Environmental Protection Agency, which is sort of like a seal of approval. That was another what I would call favorable circumstance to give me additional validation. So it's all those elements. I had to be willing to make the change in terms of taking risks, putting myself out there, even when I felt uncomfortable, you know, trusting, you know, my instincts, what other people might say, I don't know about that. And you need to have a strong foundation, a strong core in order to make those things happen. People get it different kind of way. Some people get it running, some people get it by, you know, hanging upside down. I don't think there's any one way to make it happen. But I I don't know how people can make with having something to anchor you when these stormy seas call life. So
0: when I th- when I hear your story, the word resilient comes to mind. Yes. So what, what would what would three other words be? that would describe you at your foundation. You talk about having that strong foundation. So you look in the mirror in the morning and say, Judy Henderson, I am resilient. I am what, what, and what? Is tenacious
1: the same as resilient?
0: No, no. I think resilient, I think of, believe it or not, more in a, in a defensive mindset. Like you, you, you take what gets thrown at you, and it bounces off you and you continue to move forward. Tenacious is offense. You know, mm-hmm. it's you busting okay. through stuff left and right. But
1: well, that's me. I'm definitely uh, tenacious.
0: And resilient.
1: And resilient. And also, I would say innovative.
0: Okay. I need one more word. One more. And I'll give it to you if you don't have it.
1: I think I'm optimistic.
0: I would say spiritual.
1: Oh, okay. All right.
0: So I like that. I wonder how other people would describe you. You know, that's an exercise. Yeah,
1: I think spiritual is the first word that comes up for people because sometimes people spirit, speak spiritual. You have to be, you know, calm and relaxed and speak like this. And I'm way too energetic for what most people, you know, see as spiritual. The, the sort of like stereotype of spiritual. Someone's like like walking softly, walking calmly. Okay, but if you're able to see spirit in a bigger area, then yes, I'm that.
0: Absolutely. I, I definitely think spiritual is not a passive approach to life. Spiritual can be very much.
1: Very active.
0: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. You're you yeah, moved. People
1: see it that way. At least when I think of spiritual, I think of, you know, Kema Sholabran or Ketnakan, you know, that's spiritual.
0: <laughs> yeah, at another level, right? Yeah, another uh, Ket-Nakhan is one of my favorites.
1: Yeah, they're like the PhD level of spiritual. <laughs>
0: he, he once said... Uh, because you're alive, everything is possible.
1: Ooh, I love that.
0: Yeah. Oh, that was man. in my newsletter last
2: week.
1: But that's easier said than done, particularly these past two years, which has really been a gut punch for a lot of us. You know, 2020 with the COVID affected so many people. Obviously, Black Lives Matter affected people like myself. And then just trying to, you know, come back from that. I think we're finally really realizing, you know, self care and having something to help ground you is taken much more importance these past two years than I think many times we thought before the, the pace of life before was just so hectic. There often wasn't much room to just stop and pause and breathe.
0: Yeah. So what's your long what's your five year plan for management madness?
1: Okay. I'm almost afraid to admit this because it is even a really big, big dream.
0: But,
1: a big <laughs> act. You're here to hearing it first. I'm also an Airbnb host. Just wanted to let you know that. Mm-hmm. And by mentioning that, because my goal is to have a facility that becomes like a sustainability village. Imagine this. So we have Mannequin Madness as the anchor tenant, and there would be other related businesses that are in the sustainability field. We'd also have something like sh- converted shipping containers that I would rent out as Airbnb units. Mm-hmm. My employees, I only have three other employees, they want to live there, like in a co housing situation. But being a sustainable place where we're doing everything for, you know, what do they call that? Green washing, ground washing, the stuff where you recycle the water, where everything on there is, is <clears> eco-friendly, <throat> like we live in an eco-friendly unit. Yep. And then I also have a little white agricultural there. There's a movement now showing that you can uh, grow lots of fruits and vegetables in a shipping container, in a controlled container. You don't have to have big farmland. So I would love to be a model of sustainability commerce in action, like to buy a little farm line someplace. And have all of my enterprises on one location. So, sort of Airbnb over here, management is over here, everything together under one roof.
0: Do you have a place where you want to do it?
1: I have a city that I'm looking at, but there's, you know, there's it's easier said than done.
0: Okay, but put it out there, put it out in the universe, and see what happens.
1: Otherwise, and I think what's so interesting is to be 65, and I don't feel anywhere close to wanting to retire. I'm more excited about new dreams that I want to have. I'm even dreaming bigger than I think I would have done before because I'm much more comfortable in taking risks. I do see certain needs that are unfulfilled that I feel like I could do. Uh, I do see that more people are interested in sustainability that wasn't before. So the idea of being able to have a place where we could be a showcase, especially we're right by Silicon Valley. They can come and maybe test out new sustainability products or something at our center. That's what I would love to do. You really see people of color on the front line of sustainability movement. You're just getting started. That's what I feel, Brian. I really do.
0: Yeah. Congratulations. All of this has led you to this point. Your faith, your resiliency, your tenacity, your picking a unique kind of, and I'll say wacky market, right? (laughs) Mannequins, all of these things have led you to where you are today.
1: And this is where being older can be an advantage. Because if you had said I was doing a wacky business in my 30s, I think I would have been too sensitive. I would, my feelings would have been hurt. Now I wear it as a badge of honor. Yes, I'm wacky, yeah. and it's okay.
0: Yeah. And I meant it as a compliment.
1: Totally. I mean, yeah, but I, but I would not have been able to take it then, is what I'm saying. Because, you know, many yeah. times when you're younger, you're trying so much to do what everybody else is doing, you know, versus now being okay with being different.
0: You could label yeah. your experience the road less traveled.
1: Totally. And one of my favorite books, by the way. I'm, I'm a big book reader. So, yeah.
0: Oh, good. We're going to have to talk offline because we got <laughs> we got to get that contest going with the sponsorship. And then I, I'm a huge book lover.
1: Oh, okay. Huge we can get ideas on books. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Okay. Yeah, and it really
1: helped so. me a lot. When you said one of the things that helped me is reading books, even from people much bigger than me, like reading books by Richard Branson and things like that. But there's always something you can learn from other entrepreneurs. Everybody who said it's had a turning point where they had to make certain decisions. No matter how many zeros they had in their bank account, they still were many times faced with big challenges. Steve Jobs, as we know, got kicked out of his own company at one time.
0: Yeah, yeah. I'll I'll ask you a question. You don't have to answer it now, but I want you to think about it and you can answer it offline because you have led such an interesting life to this point where you are now, you've done so much. Right. And, and, and I love your approach to life. Um, what is, and this comes from one of my all time favorite books. It's by a guy named Viktor Frankl, man's search for meaning. And have you, have you ever read that book? Yeah. It's, it's amazing. But in the book, he asks several different ways and times. What is the meaning of your life? Mm.
2: Mm.
0: And you don't have to answer it now, but when you think about it, that really is the ultimate question, isn't it? Yes, it
1: is. Oh, that's deep. And also, sometimes doesn't doesn't it change? Is it always? Of course. Oh,
0: he says that. He says that. You know, what the meaning of your life is when you're in your 20s versus your 30s and your 50s and your 70s. Absolutely, because you've experienced things, you've done things, you left legacies, so that the meaning could then change. So, but it's a great, it's a great way to keep focus.
1: Okay, Great north star. Like, why am I doing this? Can really kind of help you. Exactly.
0: What is the meaning of this, and how is it going to help me? And it's not something you ever achieve, like a goal.
2: Yeah, the it's moving like, target. <laughs>
0: exactly. Always yeah. in front. Yeah. Now, oh, this has been wonderful, Brian. Yes. Judy, thank you so much. And thank you, Kathleen Murphy, wherever you are, for helping us set this up. You have a fantastic story. I hope you get to tell it over and over and over again. I hope you get the recognition you deserve by investors and sponsors and winning awards because you are. You're doing great things and you're a great role model. So I hope that my listeners see that and they the takeaways that they get from this is that you know, it pays to be resilient and tenacious and spiritual and love what you do and wake up with a positive feeling every morning. That's what I get from you in this talk.
1: And that you're never too old, never too late. So much of our society wants to kind of like marginalize people once you get past a certain age, especially the tech field. You know, in the tech field, if you're 30, you're, it seems like you're old. And I want to let people say, hey, at 65, I feel like I'm still hitting my stride.
0: I ran a marathon years ago in New York, and I am not fast, but I was running behind a woman that said, I still jive at 75.
1: Yay. That's She when said, you
0: know what? That. that lady is not beating me. <laughs> that's great. You're not beating me. Yeah. But it, it, I think it was T.S. Eliot who said, uh, it's never too late to be what you might have been.
1: Yes, absolutely. But it takes courage
2: to do that.
0: Yes. Well, thank you. Thank you for sharing that. With
2: us. Appreciate it.
0: We, we appreciate your time. Uh the, the if people want to get in touch with you. So the website is mannequinmadness.com, correct?
2: Yes. And you're
0: you, you've got a huge following on Pinterest. And any other way that people can reach so out.
1: You? Instagram and Facebook, like on LinkedIn.
0: Okay. And and people will find you.
1: if they want to participate in that mannequin contest, they can go to Pinterest and get some ideas.
0: Awesome. I <laughs> love that. I love that. We're going to make that happen.
1: All right.
0: Um, And thank you to our listeners. Thank you for all your feedback, your suggestions, your recommendations. I'd love to hear what you think about Judy's story and what your takeaways are from it. And we will see you on uh, the next episode of Small Business Edge Podcast. Until then, have a fantastic day and enjoy your path. Take care. You've been listening to the Small Business Edge podcast with Brian Moran, sponsored by Pitney Bowes. Please visit our website, smallbusinessedge.com for a listing of
2: future podcasts.